is Belmont Stakes Week. Welcome back to another edition of the Goat's Room. I'm Caitlin, joined as always by Andy and Andrew Champagne is back with us. He's been with us every step of the way through this Triple Crown. Going to be a frequent visitor here on the Goat Zoom Room. Gentlemen, third and final leg of the Triple Crown. And there's been a lot of people complaining about some of the races on the Belmont Stakes card day. Short fields, but good fields nonetheless have a lot of star power. On this card, eight horses lined up to take on the final jewel of the Triple Crown. Rich Strike coming back. We have a filly coming in from the Kentucky Oaks. Plenty of other horses in that race. I think they're all in with a chance. But at a first glance, what are we thinking of this card so far? I'll go first if you'd like, Andy. Yeah, go ahead. I'll be really quick. Not much. Um, <laughs> this is supposed to be a mini Breeders' Cup. We've gotten horses of note. That's fine. I understand that. The Met Mile has five horses. The Acorn has five horses. The Just a Game has five horses. The Woody Stevens has six horses. The Belmont has eight horses. And there were people before the Preakness wondering if the Belmont would have a small field or not. And it's wound up having one of the bigger fields on Saturday. It's unfortunate. And anyone that's been following situations with full crop counts and horses not being bred to run nearly as often, see this as absolutely no surprise. It's time to stop kicking the can down the road and address some, some pretty major issues here. Because if this is supposed to be one of the biggest days of the year in horse racing, and it is supposed to be one of those days, then it's woefully short stacked. To compare it to what it should be. So here, so just to, just to kind of, uh, kind of piggyback off of that, I, I kind of, I totally agree with you that, you know, the full sizes, but I think it also has a lot to do with the fact that um, people are, you know, people at the sales are training horses to go short. Not they're not, not training horses to go long. Horses that. Normally, I mean, can you give me a horse at a two-year-old in training sale that ended up running really well in the Derby or any of the Triple Crown races since Nyquist? Because I can't off the top of my head. Um, so, I mean, that that alone says enough. Most of the horses that usually run in the Triple Crown are either homebreds are their yearlings, are their Keeneland yearling sales graduates, right? Um, to me, this is an issue and it needs to be addressed, but it's not going to get addressed because that's how people make their money. Yeah, there's a lot of money that's out there. And as long as breeding operations are breeding for these sales, which is why they're in business. And as long as people at those sales want these kinds of horses there's no incentive to change that. And we're going to wind up with a situation that ultimately doesn't get better. There's a lot of different ways in which we could attack this problem. Uh, there's a lot of sweeping reforms that I personally would very much like to see that we're just not going to see because reasons, but it, it, the whole thing is just unfortunate. And now it's a situation where if the breeding industry wasn't already known to be the tail wagging the dog when it comes to thoroughbred horse racing. It's incredibly evident now. I'll piggyback off that a little bit. I agree with 
everything you guys have said so far. And I definitely want to add into this and kind of play devil's advocate a little bit. Um, as I said on Twitter, and a lot of people didn't like what I had to say, but I mean, other than a couple horses that ran in the other triple crown races and one or two horses that were in Dubai or Saudi Arabia, who is missing off of this card? I mean, in, in us racing right now, we are just lacking star power. We certainly have plenty of good fillies and mares, but when it comes to males, whether it be three-year-olds or older horses, there's not a lot of star power in this, in these States. And I mean, all of these horses or a lot of these races do have, you know, standout favorites, but that's what I think of when I look at this card is short fields because of the reasons you guys are saying, but there's also a lack of stars in my opinion. But see, to me, to me, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. And I know we're going to talk about the card, but I mean, there's a lot of favorites, but Andrew's, Andrew's anointed, uh, Breeders' Cup mile winner, Speak of the Devil runs um, tomorrow. Echo Zulu runs tomorrow or Saturday. Well, we're dropping this on Friday. So, yeah, tomorrow. Um, so, I mean, there's two right there right off the bat that that you could say could possibly have some star power and throw in Jack Christopher if you decide. Right? So there's – I mean, sir. I mean, yes, I agree with you. There's, there's a lack of star power, like where, you know, we're used to seeing, or like back in the day when it was Sharon uh, and Go for Wand, right? When they were running against each other before Go for Wand's ill-fated um, accident or Bayakoa versus the boys or anything like that. Yeah, that's true. But at the same token, there are some horses here who do have the potential down the road to be stars. It's just a matter of whether or not they want to market it or not, and they're not marketing it. There is one other exception here that we should probably bring up as far as horses and where they're running. Jackie's Warrior is running in the true north, and I understand why they're running that horse there. That horse should be going in the Met Mile. Yeah, I agree. I, I, agree. I understand you want to avoid flight line if you can, and it's basically going to be a gigantic paid workout. I understand that, but if these days are designed to bring the best horses together, they're not doing that. And in that one instance, they're actively keeping some of the best horses apart from one another. Yeah, remember remember back in the day when there used to be like two big monster days at Belmont. There was a Belmont Stakes program, and then like right around July Fourth, there was a big suburban yep. handicap program. And now it's pretty much just Belmont Stakes program, and that's it. Yeah, and look, that's the way the industry is going with these big days. I understand why to an extent. And I'm not sure spreading out the stakes races would solve much because as Caitlin mentioned, we've got such a lack of stars on display and those stars run fewer and fewer times for a variety of reasons. Would horses that are running on that Belmont Stakes Day program be able to come back four weeks later? We've gotten to that point where it is a valid question. Caitlin? No, I, I'm just listening and agreeing with 
<laughs> everything you guys are saying. I'm just taking it all in. I, I don't have anything I disagree with. There are stars on this card. That's kind of not what I was getting at. No, what I, I was What I was basically meaning is people were wanting these races to fill to capacity. And I'm like, we don't have enough horses running at the top level here to fill these races to capacity. No, and I mean... To, to make matters worse, what is it today or not today? Um, Thursday, Thursday afternoon, they had a match race at Belmont because all of human error, too. Right? So that, that's a problem. Well, you heard what happened for that to occur, didn't you? Well, I heard it had something to do with the LASIK administration and then. Another horse didn't ship, and another horse had a steward issue. So, yeah, no good. Perfect storm. Um, it's just I, I was watching that race up at Woodbine actually, and it, it was just one of those times where we're all looking at the TV, going, "Really, this is really happening right now? <laughs> this is really what we've came to." It's just there's a lot of problems in racing that racing has put off and put off and put off and put off fixing. And I don't want to push the panic button too much. I don't want to say that this cannot get fixed because it can, but we're getting to where a lot of hard decisions need to get made. And I'm not looking forward to what the results of those decisions are. I agree. I mean, you got horses running elsewhere for bigger stake purses because they can make the money at Churchill. No offense, Caitlin, <laughs> this weekend, right? Instead yeah. of having to go to Belmont. And yeah, and we've got on. we've got stakes races this weekend. We're running the um, hold on. I was just looking at it. The Mighty Bow on Saturday that took entries from the Jiper, even though the Jiper field still turned out decent. There's some horses that could have won in the Jiper but they're going to run in this race instead. Yeah, it's, it's bad. I mean, I looked at the Matt win and I'm not saying that Cyberknife would have been a major contender in the Belmont, but 10, 15 years ago, doesn't Cyberknife go in the Belmont? Mm, yep. I would think so. 10, 15 years ago, there would be a lot. There would have been a lot of horses that would have gone to the Belmont that ran on the Kentucky Derby card. Yep. And I, I figure it's probably wise to transition with, with this comment that I made a couple of years ago on Twitter. I remember this vividly. It was maybe three or four years ago where I tweeted something along the lines of, if you ask breeders which they would rather breed, a Belmont stakes winner or a horse that goes in nine and four at a training sale, it would be a legitimate question. I got laughed at on Twitter for that. Can you honestly say that's not a legitimate question right now? No, it's, a, it's completely legit. Yep. And, you know, the sad part is, is that, and I, and I always have to say this on my tours at Old Friends, you know, we have Touch Gold and Sarava. Both, I mean, Touch Gold had a little bit better stallion career than Sarava did. But in all Good brood honesty, mare sire. Huh? Good brood mare sire. Yeah. But 
the biggest problem that we've had, the biggest problem is, is that no one's going to breed to a Belmont Stakes winner. No one. Unless it's a triple crown winner. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, and even then uh, you're looking at horses like American Pharaoh and Justify and the jury is out on Justify. We don't know anything yet because his horses are two-year-olds right now. But you look at American Pharaoh and those two-year-olds, some of them are live. He had a horse named four-wheel drive that won a Breeders' Cup race. Yeah, but, but, but after two years old, and I'll, they're two-year-olds on the turf, and then after that, they're nothing. It's one of those instances where those aren't the sires that people want. People want the inner mischiefs that will win first time out, that will be whatever the heck brilliant is that nobody can seem to define, and then whatever happens, happens. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And it's a sad, it's a sad commentary on racing nowadays. It is, and it's unfortunate because we're not sitting here eager to bash the sport that we love. That's the criticism that I see from people that will defend the game at all costs, and I absolutely hate it. If you call a spade a spade, you shouldn't be punished for that. You shouldn't be made to feel like you're the one that's in the wrong when you're pointing out the Met Miles should have more than five entries. The Acorn should have more than five entries. The Just a Game should have more than five entries and maybe more than three different owners. Like, I'm sorry. It's okay to point out that things are wrong and need to be fixed. Yeah, but people are, people are afraid. People want to live under a rock when it comes to horse racing. I think I told this to Caitlin. Um, maybe it was today, earlier in the morning. But I told her, I was like, you know, the, pro- the biggest problem with horse racing is kind of twofold. Number one, if you're in the industry and you know how the industry works, it's its own little community and it polices itself for a lot of things. If you're outside of it and you look into it, you're going to see a lot of things that that we don't that we in the industry don't want to even have you guys have anybody see. And you know that that's where that's where in therein lies the biggest problem that we face in the industry is that there's a lot of issues, but nobody nobody wants to nobody wants to fix them because. Why would you want to fix something that's worked for almost a hundred and some odd years to benefit, you know, people that already have the money? You have a point. Yeah. It's just, this card this weekend has brought on a lot of questions that I don't think anyone wants to have to address at this point. We want to be able to focus on the racing that's in front of us. We want to be able to enjoy racing that is top tier and top class look we're seeing some really good horses we're seeing flight line that's great we're seeing speaker's corner that's great we're seeing the chad brown trainee that i think wins any breeders cup race she runs in in the just a game great wonderful fantastic it's just one of those times where you wish they were running in 10 11 12 horse fields against you know however many horses you can get as opposed to some races that are struggling to fill 
You look at the Met Mile, there's a horse in there that's going to be 99 to 1, and I think that's an underlay. He's going to win. <laughs> if that happens, I quit gambling. And this isn't a swift hitter quit gambling either. That's a legit I quit gambling for the rest of my life scenario. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and pivot off of this. We'll talk about some of the major races on the card. I'm not going to talk about all of the great ones because even though they are short fields, it's going to cut us kind of short. So I'm going to skip to, um, I think I'm going to skip to the Ogden Phipps and talk about that, the Met Mile the Manhattan and the Belmont stakes. I think those are kind of the bigger of all of them. So let's go ahead and look to the Ogden Phipps. Um, It is a short field surprise, but out of all the short fields, I think this is the best race on the card bar the Belmont stakes because everybody in this race has a chance. Go ahead, Adam, Uh, Andrew. Good God. I have been called far worse. Um, Sorry, Andrew, shoot me now. (laughs) (laughs) Would you like to shoot him now or wait till you get home? Shoot him now. Shoot him now. If any of you out there get that reference, you're listening to the correct podcast. (laughs) I wish I could be more intrigued by this race than I am. Latruska gets to the lead and it's over. That's it. That's the race. There's a lot of talent signed on here. If nobody goes with Latruska, she coasts. And I wish I had a different opinion than that. But, hey, five horses, one speed. That speed is a champion mare. I, I, I can't go against her here. Um, I see what you're saying. I do. Um, and she's improving after every start since she's come back off of that Breeders' Cup race which is pretty impressive. I'll give you, I'll give you a horse that I kind of like a little bit that might show more speed than she has. And that's search results. You might see, I read sender, um, especially from the outside like this, you know, she is getting, she is going a little further a mile 16 or 16th of a mile more, but you know, Yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give a shot at for sure search results. I think she might be a little bit more closely placed than we expect, and uh, hopefully she kind of outruns her to the turn. I kind of maybe thought the same thing, Andy. I'm not really sure who that would set it up for. Maybe search results staying on. I really, really love Malathot, but I wish she had looked better. And the double dog dare, um, she was on the wrong lead. She did end up winning the race, but the speed figures came back like not good. So I don't know if she's the same horse this year. Granted, this will be the second star off the layoff. She's stretching out a little bit more, which I think is certainly what she wants to do. But jury's still out for me on her for this year. But Andrew, I I think I agree with you, Latruska. Andy, I see what you're saying. So I think it has to be one of those two horses. And here, Latruska, obviously, the most likely. But, I mean, yeah, in a five-horse field with lone speed, I just, even with a five-horse field, can appreciate five champion-level mares showing up. Because, as I said, when it comes to 
the top runners in our country, we are not lacking on female talent this year. And if I may jump in here really quick, this is the short field that I will defend of the yes. major stakes races because Me too. yes, there are only five horses, but the only horse that might be missing is CC. And I think they've discovered that CC wants to go a little shorter than the mile and a 16th route of ground, even if it's one turn. So I can forgive that. I have no issue with the five horses that we've got here. It's a good, good field. You look at Bonnie South, that's a graded stakes winner. You look at Malafat, that's last year's Kentucky Oaks winner. You look <laughs> at Clarier, the Cotillion winner who gave Latruska as much as she wanted in the Apple Blossom. And then you look at search results, who all she's done at Belmont is go two for two with a really nice win in the Ruffian over a muddy track. They've been saying it might rain at Belmont this coming weekend. Um, it's, it's a really good field. And of the short fields at Belmont this weekend, I got no problem with this one. That's definitely kind of why I really wanted to bring it up. I know Latruska looms large in here, but I mean, if something funky happens, any of these horses can win this race. So I, I'm kind of with you on that. I didn't have a problem with this field. I actually am really excited for this race, but moving on now to another one, I'm going to move on to the Met Mile. Another five horse race. Do have two standouts in here. Some people would say just one in flight line he's three to five in the morning line and then there's speaker's corner they're similar horses speaker's corner obviously not as highly regarded as flight line but it's still a very highly regarded horse in his own right or own right um then we have the breeders cup sprint winner and aloha west showing up happy savers nothing to sneeze about informative um i don't really need to say anything so is this a two horse race or is this a one horse race <laughs> So what are, what are, has anybody looked to see, maybe we should have asked Ed DeRosa before we came on, but what, how often does Sadler win outside of California? It's not overly often. It has happened. He I mean, did set out Accelerate to win the Breeders' Cup Classic at Churchill a couple and of years you can, ago. And, and I'm sorry, but you can make an argument that that horse could have, should have lost that race because Thunder Snow Thunder Snow's rider ended up going along the rail instead of going outside. You could have. Yeah. And I personally wish he would have, because I went six deep that day and didn't use accelerate. And I believe I had horses that finished second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth that day. Not like I remember certain things like that, but you know, you know, um, and I had a, I had a $200 win place and show ticket on, on that, on Thunder Snow. So yeah. Brutal. Brutal. Um, really? Yeah, I'm looking at it right here. His only good horses that have really performed um, well outside of California would be Stellar Wind, Switch, was okay, Flagstaff, did decent. Um, hmm. I'm scrolling down. Um, that's about it. <laughs> so let's see. Stellar Wind, Switch, and, and Flagstaff. And Flagstaff. And all of those were when assistant Larry Benavides was his main guy instead of the guy he has now. Just saying. Accelerate did well outside of California. Yeah, but that yeah. was, yeah. But I mean, he, here's the thing. I'm well aware of the fact that flight line is probably the best horse in the field, right? Right. But, 
I mean, the horse doesn't run anywhere near enough. At some point, he's going to run into a situation where he's going to run into a horse that's just as good as him. You can't, every, every race he's run has been in California. He hasn't beaten anybody. I don't care what anybody says about Stiletto Boy. He's not that good. You're he's not, not a fan of Baby Yoda? Yoda? No, Baby, Yo- Baby Yoda's going to get smoked tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, Friday. Yeah. He's going to get smoked. So can I, can, I make a, can I make a prediction here? Sure. Um, I do think Flightline wins. I just think he is significantly faster than Speaker's Corner. And I think Speaker's Corner is the one that's going to be left in the dust. What I do think happens is Flightline winds up winning. And where you make your money is by picking the horse that runs second in a Dave Weaver ice cold exacta. And in that regard, give me Aloha West in second, going second off the layoff for Wayne Catalano. I love the fact that this horse seems to be working lights out. He absolutely needed that race in the Churchill Downs on Kentucky Derby Day. He was five months behind Jackie's Warrior when that one had an absolutely picture-perfect trip. And that was Aloha West's first race since winning the Breeders' Cup Sprint. I am more than willing to assume that that horse is going to improve considerably in this spot. The added furlong doesn't necessarily concern me. They're going to go pretty fast early. I think that sets things up for Aloha West to maybe not win, but if you're playing those cold exactas, I think that's the horse you want in second. Um, I will will counter that. I I will counter it also. (laughs) What did you say? I said I will counter it also. Here's the thing. I don't trust I don't trust the fact that Sadler doesn't win often outside so outside of California so that alone I just throw the horse out I got regardless of how talented the horse is Santa Anita and you know this as well as anybody Andrew Santa Anita racetrack compared to Belmont are two different animals when it comes to tire tiring horses out well if I have a word in here really quickly so is aqueduct aqueduct surface is notoriously quirky and if you say that about flight line can't you say that about speaker's corner and what he, he did last time out in the carter yeah but he's worked over he's worked over the surface sure and that therein lies it not to mention he's won over the surface i understand that i'm just saying that he might run really well and i think he is going to run a reasonably fast figure I just don't think you're going to see the 114 by your speed figure he ran in the Carter last time out, which was a very impressive effort. But I, I just think that's not an effort that's going to repeat itself here, especially if he doesn't get the lead. And I don't think he does. And I, my, my whole point is, I don't think I like Speaker's Corner, but you know who I really like in here? Yeah. Who do you like? Being a speed duel, Happy Saver. Really? He will sit the trip and he's cutting back. He's cutting back to a one-turn mile. Just saying. Just saying. He, All right, well. He I'm won be... going one turn back in, back in May of last year. Well, I'm going to counter both of you. Here we go. That's the spirit. That's what makes a good three-person podcast. <laughs> Um, I just, hold on. I actually accidentally 
axed out of my PPs. Why did that happen? But because um, was trying to tell you that Flightline can't lose. <laughs> well, you may very well be right. He could be, you know, just head and shoulders that good. But I'm with Andy, John Sadler outside of California. It's it's tough. It's tough, even with a horse like this, where it seems, you know, super, super, super likely. But also the horse is coming off a six-month layoff. He had everything his own way in the Malibu. He beat I I, I love Baby Yoda, but Baby Yoda's not that level. And they inflate buyers out in California. They inflate speed figures. So I just have a lot of problems with Flightline, even though I think he is the most naturally gifted horse in this race. There's things that lead me to maybe go against. And despite what both of you say, I don't think Speaker's Corner needs the lead. I think he is quite a bit more versatile than Flightline is because I think Flightline needs the lead. Um, whether Speaker's Corner can run him down or not remains to be seen, but I think he can sit in second, and I think he can set up a good trip. He's one coming off the pace before coming a decent bit off the pace in the past, and he did that at Belmont. That was in one of his wins at Belmont, so he is better on the lead, but I don't think he necessarily needs it. Um, Junior Alvarado knows this horse so well, and I've just been impressed with what he's doing. He keeps improving. He keeps improving, and he's the one that's got the now form. And he's the one that is improving and is at his career best right now where Flightline is coming off of a six-month layoff and he's shipping away from California. So this could be the great equalizer between the two of them. I'm going to get a much better price on Speaker's Corner. He's proven over the surface. So I'm going to take Speaker's Corner in this race. Does she change her mind, Andrew? No. I just... (laughs) I, I, I respect the handicapping logic behind it. I understand nobody wants to take one to five or two to five on a horse like Flightline that hasn't run since December. In all honesty, for me, this is probably a pass race unless you wind up with an exacta probable on a horse you like running second that doesn't stink. So, but, here, but herein lies the, the problem, right? Do they not have like a grade one pick five going on it's really really weird there is that pick five there's also a pick five that starts in the met mile and the belmont is the third leg and it includes the last two races on the card which are far from grade ones there one is a maiden claimer the other is a race for new york breads going six furlongs on the turf but those races have big fields so that might be the pick five you want to play Okay. I hear that. All right. Well, let's move on to the grade one before the Belmont. It is the Manhattan. And that one did draw a little bit of bigger field, drew a field of 10. And I will start out by saying our male turf division going the classic turf distance of a mile and a half is extremely lacking. I'm not blown away by these entries, but this is what we have. So lots of inconsistent How do you really feel? In this race. Huh? How do you truly feel? Well, you know that the turf division in this country makes me extremely mad. It makes you ill. So, it you. does. It makes me ill. And then I have to turn around and watch Royal Ascot next week. Oh, yes. You have to watch Royal Ascot. The horror. The horror. 
I mean, can you imagine looking at these turf races and then looking at Royal Ascot? I'm going to be like, finally, some real turf racing I can make some money on. Yeah, I hear you there for sure. Though I will say, well, from a quality perspective, this race is lacking. As a betting race, it's not bad. And that's the, that's the saving grace of this race because there isn't going to be a gigantically heavy favorite. The field size is okay. As, as betting races go on Saturday, this isn't bad. No, no, not at all. And I think, I think the crazy part is I think Gufo is going to get overly bad. He always does. Yeah. So tell us who you like Caitlin, so we can disagree. I'm going to go with Highland Chief again to beat Gufo on the square again. I just was really impressed with his win in the Man of War. Um, I was on a podcast earlier today talking to some of my Irish friends, and they all really like this horse in this race. He ran against some really top competition over in Europe. He beat Mogul a couple of times. He ran behind Cameco, Pinatubo. He was only a couple links behind Pinatubo. Um, at one point, Lopi Fernandez, I see in here, uh, that's better than anybody else's uh, face in this field. And, you know, his first start here in the States, he had a horrible start. So I think you really got to see the real Highland Chief last time out. He does shorten up a bit in trip here, but not too much at all. And I think Trevor McCarthy is a fantastic fit for this horse. They showed it last time out. And Grand Motion doesn't waste his time in races that he doesn't think he can win. This horse is 6-1 to one on the morning line. I think that offers tremendous value if that holds. So I'm going to go with Highland Chief in here. Uh, uh, Andrew. So... I'm going to go with a horse that I liked last time out on the Derby undercard that made Rich Strike an absolutely terrible beat in a number of different ways because I liked Santon in the Turf Classic when he won at 7-1. to one. I was live to a really nice double ending with Epicenter in the Kentucky Derby, and then Rich Strike came shooting up the rail and screwed everything up. But in this particular spot, you have a horse that certainly seems like he's improving and one that hasn't done a heck of a lot wrong to this point in his career. He won his first two starts, was a hard-charging second in the Hollywood Derby out at Del Mar, came back, was beaten a half-length in a grade three at Fairgrounds, then was second when stalking two Emmys in the Muniz at Fairgrounds, comes back at Churchill, runs really, really well, getting a perfect stalking trip, that I think he's likely to get in this particular spot as well. I was also a big fan of the dam, Sentiero Italia, who was a very <laughs> good turf distaffer in New York for Kieran McLaughlin, I believe. This is one of her first foals to race. So I've been uh, been a fan of this one for a little while here. I don't think the additional distance is going to be a problem. Mile and a half might be a little too far, but a mile and a quarter I think is still right in his wheelhouse I think he's going to get a little bit of pace to chase. I think he'll be second flight or so, maybe a length and a half, two lengths off the pace early on. And I think he will have every chance turning for home. Any improvement off of the last out score, I think will make him very, very tough to beat. And a repeat effort from that last out score may still be good enough to win. Um, First off, I would like to say that I talked myself off of uh, Highland Chief after the after I was like Yabir can't lose and Yabir lost. 
Um, <laughs> Your beer yeah. always seems seems to find a way to do that. Yeah, I was uh, I was in that camp too, Andy. And in addition, way back in the Breeders' Cup turf, I loved Broom, who was twenty to one on the morning line, turned for home clear by three lengths, and a beer came and got him. And so he screwed me over when I didn't need him, and then he screwed me over when I needed him. So as horses go, he's on my dead to me list. I mean, I just I just look, I, and I'll make the same point that Caitlin made. Highland Chief shouldn't be six to one in this field. He shouldn't. No, no ands, ifs, or buts about it. He should not be six to one. Seven to two, yes. Six to one is a gift. Especially when you look down and you see, like you said, who he's faced, right? I mean, he he's only he almost beat Mogul three and a quarter length. He was off by three and a quarter lengths. Losing the pile driver is not a bad thing. Pile driver beats this field. <laughs> yeah, pile driver errors, right? Japan, Japan, you know, he finished behind Japan. Desert Encounter is a good horse. I mean, you were right, you're right. I mean, this horse has nothing but back class to, to say that this horse is better than everybody here. Here's my question for you, though. When's the last time you've seen a Chad Brown? Uh, Chad Brown's not be favored in a group in a grade one in New York on the turf. That's going to be worth taking a look at. I mean, it, it, it's weird, especially a grade one going long on the turf. There have been grade one turf sprints where he hasn't necessarily had the favorite. Those are usually Wesley Ward's races anyway, but it's a very, very good question. He's got three, but he's got four in here, right? And I got to tell you, I don't love any of them. No. No, I mean, I'll tell you what. Uh, I'm on the same boat with you with your beer where Tribute Haven is dead to me. Like, no, I don't ever want to see it again. Rock Emperor, same thing. I've been burdened enough by that horse too. Um, Adamo would probably be the only one that I would probably look at for Brown in here. And that's just because, uh, that's just because he, he ran against St. Mark's Basilica back in June of 2021. Right. Yeah. But even so, even so though, Andy, four to one is a little too short to take on him. I would probably still need six, seven to one, given that Santon beat him by more than six lengths without Adamo having any real excuse. No, I agree. And then, you know, the other question I have, Caitlin, is Mm -hmm. what do you think of Tokyo Gold? I was ready to mention Tokyo Gold. He is a long shot horse that I think chances are is overmatched in this race but should not be discounted um he has ran well at belmont in the past ran behind you beer one time and was beaten about a length behind bolshoi ballet in the grade one belmont derby japanese horse uh chris or chris christian Nomura, or christoph whatever the hell his name is is coming over from japan to ride this horse before he heads over to Royal Ascot. So there's got to be something to that. This horse ran well and won in um, France 
he's ran all over the country or ran all over the world. So we know this horse can travel and he would be one that I think would kind of be a wild card in this race. That, that was my, that, that's what I was thinking too. That and the fact that right now, do you really discount anything the Japanese bring over? Absolutely not. I don't discount, you know, I, I think I like who I like in this race, but how many times have we seen all of these horses for about five years now, all beat up on each other and different ones, ding dong constantly add in a couple other ones. And it, that's just how our turf division is. So literally anything could happen in this race. And I, I wouldn't be shocked. And that's part of the reason, by the way, that I like Santon in here because he's relatively lightly raced and a newcomer onto the scene. We sort of know what everybody else in this field is. And look, I respect Gufo a little bit in here because if you toss the Breeders' Cup turf, he's literally never run a bad race. I understand the appeal of a horse like that that literally always seems to fire, but his likely price is just going to be too short for me to swallow in here. I think Santon's going to provide a little more value as the likely second choice. Uh, yeah, I agree. And, you know, the one horse that's going to be overlooked in here and – and I understand why, but it'll be uh, channel maker. The question is, what do you make of the Elkhorn, and do you think he beat a lot in that race? No, I don't think he beat a lot, but it's still channel maker, right? I mean, the the horse always fire for the most part is pretty honest and always fires. He's He'll be in the super, although, yeah. He's got to figure out who's going to be in there with him. I'd say he's the most likely <laughs> in there. Um, moving on right now to the big one on the card, the centerpiece. It's the Belmont Stakes field of eight, which I've seen a lot of people upset that, yes, this horse or this horse, this um, race should have drawn a full field. I am complete agreement. It should have drawn a full field, but the eight that it did attract I think it's a pretty damn good Belmont stakes. People can be mad about it all they want, but this is just not a very good crop. And I mean, other than some of the horses who aren't running out of the Kentucky Derby, yes, we're missing epicenter. Yes. We're missing early voting. Who else are we missing? I mean, come on now. I mean, Zandon, I don't know if you brought him up, but Zandon should probably be here. Yeah, I guess Zandon probably should be here. I don't think he wants to go a mile and a half. I really, really don't. And I think Zandon was exposed a little bit in the Derby, if I do say so. Oh, a little bit, yeah. But at the same time, you mentioned who should be here. And it's one of those instances where if Zandon runs, he's probably favored. I can see that. Yeah, I mean, we the people is getting a lot of play off of one race where he had an absolutely perfect trip going three eighths of a mile shorter than he will go on Saturday. He's two to one on the morning line. That's what we got here. Um, I respect we, the people and the pace scenario in here. I need way more than two to one in order to bet him in this spot. I just do not see any value with him at his likely price. I think there is a chance 
that he encounters a little bit of resistance up front from the likes of Skippy Longstocking, who has a little bit more early speed than he's shown in several of his prior starts. I wouldn't be surprised if Creative Minister is a little bit more forwardly placed. I wouldn't be surprised if Golden Glider is up reasonably close early on. I don't think those horses are going to factor into the final order of finish, but if they're able to at least keep we the people honest, I think that's going to be a little bit more than we the people wants to handle at this stage. Okay. I, you know, I respect that. And I totally see that. Andy, what do you think? You know, the problem, the problem with this race is everybody thinks because it's a mile and three quarters. It's a mile and three quarter. No, it's a mile and a half. Sorry. (laughs) Man, it's been a long week. Um, I've been at a conference. I hear you. Um, you know, because it's mile and a half, people think that closers pretty much rule the, the race, but it really comes down to the way who knows how to run the final three eighths of a mile along that turn. That turn is, is what usually wins or loses races. And, you know, you look at these guys and Brian Hernandez doesn't ride here. Sonny Leone doesn't ride here. Um, you know, Flavian's still learning how to ride there and he's going to have a speed horse. Uh, you know, I, I just, I, I honestly believe that we, the people is going to get an easy lead. I just don't think he's going to hold a mile and a half. It's too far. It's too far. for him. That's the other thing too. Even if he gets that perfect trip, what happens when they turn for home? Is there going to be warning lights going off maybe? And you hit on a lot of really good points as far as who wants to go a mile and a half. And I think. There is one horse in this race that absolutely wants to go a mile and a half. And while he is a closer, I think that horse is Mo Donegal because he's not a flashy one-run closer that will make up a ton of ground in what seems like three or four strides. He's more of a grinder. He'll throw 12 and change furlongs out there for as long as you ask him to run. If you watch the Wood Memorial, he's, yes, he did make up a lot of ground in that race, but it wasn't like he made it up in one fell swoop. It was, he's coming, 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 and he finally gets there. And yeah, the horse he ran down had a fairly easy lead that day and went on to win the Preakness. So I think there's a ton to like with Mo Donegal. He hit me as a Belmont horse that day when he won the Wood His Kentucky Derby effort was very good. Yes, he was a closer that got the benefit of some very fast fractions early on, but I do think that him running fifth in that race wasn't a fluke. This is a talented horse trained by a guy that has won the Belmont Stakes three different times. I think he wins it for a fourth time with this one. Um. So we're talking about we're talking about horses that want the distance. I'll give you another one that off of breeding should should love the distance. It's the other Fletcher. Yep, that's where I was going. And if I may jump in with a question here, do you read anything into Rapoli having a piece of both horses and both horses working heads up in the exact same time? My thinking is if you like Mo Donegal, and I do like Mo Donegal. You have to like Nest at least a little. I like Nest better here than I do Mo Donegal. I think. Really? And I do. And here, here's the reason. 
she's she's shown that she can be a little bit more forwardly placed than Mo Donegal. And Mo Donegal, as much as I kind of agree with you that he likes to to chip away and chip away, the Belmont is not a race where you chip away, chip away, chip away. It's a race where you have to make a quick strike move and get to the lead before you get to the eighth pole if you're going to win. And I just don't see Mo Donegal being there. Whereas this filly might sit the trip. And I hate to say that. I mean, she reminds me a lot of, of rags to riches in the way that, that she's coming up to the race. I, I could see her winning this race. I don't have a problem betting her. I don't like Rich Strike, although I am going to get free ramen noodles from Ed DeRosa if he runs. Uh, free but, ramen noodles? Dude. Dude, that's the bet. Uh, but yeah, I like I like Nest in here. I also like Mo. I do like Mo Donegal a little bit um, because off of just that, I think Barber Road is going to get overly played because of the jock switch. That horse doesn't want to win. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I thought the same thing. And I feel a little bad for Raylo Gutierrez because he's done nothing wrong with that horse. I understand if you can get Joel Rosario, you probably should, but it's not like Raylu did anything bad on that horse. And I just, it, you feel bad when that happens to people like that. I mean, well, I'm going to venture to guess that John probably told him, said, Hey, look, don't worry about it. We'll, I'll take care of you. I would imagine so. Yeah. All right, Caitlin, what do you think? Kind of mixed emotions. I think this is, this race is a little bit tougher than, I expected it to be. I was originally leaning toward we, the people, but the more I look at it, I do think he gets an early lead. I do think he gets an uncontested lead, but can he hold it for a mile and a half? That's much farther than he's ever been. I think he looked super good in the Peter Pan. I think he's maybe going to get a similar situation. He's going to get a similar type of track. There's a chance this track could be good um, based off, you know, a little bit of rain that may be in the area. Um, So we'll see. If he can go all the way, I'm 50-50 on it. I'm not quite sure. Um, but if he gets everything he likes, you know, really doesn't have an excuse. But that leads me to think of horses that are going to be in that second flight. Because I'm really, you know, as we've talked about, it's a fallacy that deep closers win the Belmont just because maybe they want to go that mile and a half. I've never been a fan of Mo Donegal. He, uh, he has screamed a Belmont stakes type to me, but I think too tough of a field came up in this race for me to really want to pick him, especially if he's going to go off around five to two, um, Barber road. I'm with you. This horse doesn't want to win golden glider, uh, outsider that I can maybe see factoring in underneath because he's a horse that does factor in well underneath in big races like this. Rich Strike, I think he has a chance if he sits a little bit closer. I'm not sure how much that throws him off of his game, but he sat closer on his debut race and won by 17. So I don't think it's out of the question. I think that's how they've been training this horse. So it's a huge ask for him. I'm betting probably not, but I think maybe he has a really good chance to finish third or fourth in here, which leaves me with two horses that I'm torn between for the win. And it's going to be nest and creative minister. Cause I see them sitting second and third and they're going to have the first jump at we, the people, and they're not going to 
you know, have to make up a ton of ground that the other horses do. And they're not that grindy type. I think both of them can gut out this distance. And I think they're both training well coming into this race. You know, creative minister, it may be a little bit of a bridge too far, but he did run third in the Preakness. He was turning away, which, you know, he did everything they asked him to do in that race. He really kind of is the type that they think he is. No, Kenny McPeak and Brian Hernandez Jr. don't have a lot of experience at this track, but Creative Minister and Ness to me are really the two that I'm taking pretty seriously in here. So, Caitlin, we're actually on very similar wavelengths in here. I'm, mm-hmm. using, those, I'm using those two horses with Mo Donegal. I think those are the two horses that maybe provide some value in those yeah. exotics wagers. Creative Minister is an interesting horse to me. My concern with him is that mile and a half distance because he was on an improving trajectory going into the Preakness and he did take a small step forward on buyer speed figures in that race. But while Epicenter was rallying at early voting late in that race, Creative Minister was just sort of one pace back in third. That concerns me just a little bit. But given his likely price, I think he's an overlay in this field. I think he should be about four to one, nine to two or so, and he might wind up double that. And at that price, I can't begrudge anybody for taking a shot. No, I I agree. Um, I've I've never been a big creative minister fan, to be honest with you. I just, I don't know whether or not he can handle the trip, the, the distance. Um, and that's all that's all because of creative cause on the top side, not because of tap it on the bottom. I was gonna say if you see who's on the bottom, just so I see bottom who's on the bottom. Too. I see who's on the bottom, but I mean you look at Golden Glider, I can't I can't I see who's on top, but then I see who the who the broodmare sire is and I'm like, Wow, oh, that's sprinter. That's sprinter stuff right there. Yeah. Right? Orientate. So I, I can't really, you know, you can make I mean, if you're really going that way, I mean, you can you can argue both cases that both horses might fit there, but wh- who's going to get the who's going to get the the breeding on that kind of? Deal? Well, I mean, we the people's out of a, a tap it sire and constitution out of a tis now, Dan. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, but you know, again, constitution really didn't want to go farther than a mile and an eighth, right? Uh, yeah, that was my that was my flaw with Constitution as as well. He's a fantastic sire that has thrown a number of very very strong horses, but there's a number of unknowns with We the People that at two to one I just can't stomach. If he winds up drifting up to like nine to two, five to one, maybe, but that's not going to happen in this field. No, and I mean, yeah, tis the tis tis the now, tis now is a great broodmare sire. I mean, he's very underrated for a broodmare sire, and he drops a lot of. A lot of horses that are the broodmares of his usually have a tendency to draw to add distance to their to the horse, but man, four races, I just I just don't see it, and he really didn't show much at Oakland. You know, I feel Barbara like Road, something had to have happened that day. Barber Road beat him. Something did happen that day in the Arkansas Derby. I loved him, and that's why that <laughs> happened. I mean, Cyber Knife beat him. Secret Oath beat him. Just blame it on me and move on. Okay. 
We blame Adam. Uh, Andrew. God. Yes. Screw Damn Adam. It. It's all Adam's fault. To <laughs> any Adams out there that are listening, I will back Oh my God. Why do I keep you calling you that? I feel like an idiot every single time I do it. It's literally your name. <laughs> I know it is. <laughs> Sorry, Andrew. It's no problem, Andy. See you later. <laughs> um, you know, I honestly believe that this that this that this pick four ish kind of deal that we just did could pay big if if all the cards line right, right, line up right, right. Um, it could also pay. What did somebody say? Today's pick four paid. Or pick five paid two, two hot dogs and a drink or something like that. <laughs> hey, in New York, at, that's a lot of money. At Belmont today, the pick four paid that. Um, so, I mean, I could see either or. I could see it being real chalky or I could see it being boxcars. So I'll take the boxcars though. This is... Like I said, even with short fields, I'm still really interested in this day. Maybe not as much of a betting aspect of just maybe as a fan, but the Belmont is a little bit tougher than I think some people are giving it credit for. And I, uh, I don't know. I, I want to see Rich Strike run really well in this race. Yeah, that that's one of us. What? That's <laughs> I, I'm still very bitter about the Kentucky Derby when Epicenter looked home about nine different times. But on, on a serious note, though, do I think the Derby was 100% a fluke? Maybe not. But that horse needs a lot to go right. And when I say a lot, I mean a lot, a lot. And you look at the price this horse is going to be. I saw somebody on Twitter earlier today, it might have been Mike Somich, who I like and respect a great deal as a handicapper, saying his idea of a fair price on Rich Strike was 20 or 25 to 1. I don't know if I would go that much, but I would certainly need double digits, and I'm not going to get that. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. Not at all. Well, uh, just, with, just with funny money coming in, I can see them betting him down to second choice or so. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I do have a question for you. Me? I actually, I have an idea for you. What's up? I have an idea for all of our listeners. I think what, what they should do is they should bet very, very small for the Belmont card. Because I feel that based on what I've seen from the the entries um i would rather play royal ascot tuesday wednesday thursday friday saturday than play this card <laughs> I, I gotta tell you i might be saving my bullets for the start of the alameda county fair in pleasanton next week cheap plug i'll be there every weekend day hosting handicapping seminars so if you're in northern <laughs> california stop on by <laughs> i'd rather I will. to be honest with you i'd rather play the the Churchill card. Well, hey, we'll be here. Well, I know you'll be there. <laughs> and I'll say be. that's where I'll be. So, I mean, but in all in all seriousness, I mean, 
you could make some money off of this race if, if the prices are right. Um, I'm not trying to, to poo-poo this, this. I mean, we just spent an hour discussing this card. But, um, you know, I also would, would say that um, if you can, try to, try to holster, holster the bullets for another day if you're not getting the prices you want. That's the other thing too. Don't be afraid to be picky. One of the things that goes overlooked in the discussion of public handicapping and experts giving stuff out and whatnot, a lot of experts don't have the option to pass races. That's an option that you as the player absolutely have and should use liberally. Now, that could potentially open the door for a much different, more wider-ranging discussion down the line, but just remember that. There are times what you're hearing, based on providers of information and whatnot, is information that you're getting because people had to handicap these races and didn't have the option to say, I don't think there's anything prudent here. I think you should pass the race. Don't be afraid to make that conclusion yourself and save your bullets for your strongest opinions. And absolutely uh, agree with that. Incredibly agree with it. I will also say that we didn't have to do a podcast for this. We decided to because we did feel that there were some prices that were available. But if the prices aren't there come post time, you don't play the race. Plain and simple. If I don't get my odds for certain horses, if I if, if Ness goes off at five to two or six, three to one, four to one, I'm not playing her. I just won't. A player, a player at her morning line, maybe even five to one, five to one or higher, but I'm not going to play her any less. It, it just doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. I mean, I'm looking at Mo Donegal. I see five to two. I can't take any shorter than that. If he winds up going off eight to five, nine to five, and I don't think he will. I think we, the people is going to go off favored, but have that number in the back of your mind. You don't have to tell anybody what it is, but have it in the back of your mind for horses that you like, that you think might provide some value and watch the tote board too, because even if there's no value in the wind pool and whatnot, look at the exactas, look at daily doubles. Heck, don't be afraid to look at the grand slam. On a day like this, the Grand Slam might be a fun little wager that you can hammer. Ooh, I love the Grand Slam on days like this, actually. Exactly, especially if you've got a strong opinion in the payoff leg. If you like Modonigal, single Modonigal, and maybe you get an odds boost off of that. Any other last thoughts, Caitlin, before I ask you a big question? Nope. Nope? Nope. So then... What do we have planned for the GOAT Zoom Room beginning Monday? Looks like we will be doing two to three Royal Ascot shows, um, kind of obviously giving out the decorations, going over the big races on those cards, probably doing two cards a day and bringing those to you. So Royal Ascot's kind of our bread and butter, as you said. If you don't have a lot of bullets to fire, this weekend for the Belmont Stakes. We got plenty of them next week. There we go. And uh, you want to close us out? Yep. This has been the Belmont Stakes preview show. Got a lot coming for you next weekend with Royal Ascot and beyond. Plenty of good races coming up this summer. And I hope all of your wagers are winning ones. <laughs>